Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks to you all for coming into my home in McKinney, Texas here and joining us here for church on a beautiful day in May. It's a little rainy here in uh, North Texas, but it's still a beautiful day. And, uh, you know, God is good and and, uh, He loves us. And even though it's gloomy outside, we can have peace and joy and sunshine in our hearts, right, with Jesus. So, Amen. Uh, anyway, if you guys want to turn your, get your Bibles uh, open to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verses 29 through 35. But if you want to join me in a word of prayer before we start my thoughts from last week, I would surely appreciate it. King of heaven and earth, thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this beautiful day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for, Lord, no matter, as I think my father said before service, Lord, no matter what it looks like outside, Lord, we, we don't have to be gloomy just because it's gloomy outside, Lord. And I know, Lord, we can have peace and joy and love in our hearts despite the rain, Lord, despite the no sun, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and, and for your cheerfulness and you know, for your words, Lord, that lead us and guide us. Your words say, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So, Lord, no matter what we go through, Lord, even if we're here when the end of the world comes, Lord, and the end of the world is drawing near, Lord, even if we're here then, Lord, we can still have peace and enjoy in our hearts, Lord, because we can know you, and if we just put our trust in you and lean on you and rely on you, we can have peace and joy in our hearts. God, thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray you bless this message, Lord, and bless our ears so we could hear right, Lord, and bless my mouth, Lord, so it could speak right, Lord God, and and I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us today and and show us all just supernatural, awesome, spiritual things, Lord. I just love you and praise you, and we just ask that you bless this time, Lord, that we're together, and bless all those that will listen to this message, Lord, all over the world. Thank you, dear God, for them, and each and every precious soul that, that listens to this message, Lord. I praise you and thank you, dear God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Again, we'll be in Matthew chapter 24. Verses 29 through 35, that'll be what what I'm going to read from in in a little bit. But first, my thoughts from last week's message, the signs of the ends of the times, or the end of the age, part two. Last week, we read about one of the signs of the end of the world being the Antichrist. He's going to come, he's going to sit in the temple of God that he's going to help make, and he's going to proclaim himself to be God and make it desolate, and he's going to make it unholy. I also talked last week about how the Jews should react once they see this Antichrist coming and how they will act, really, the Bible tells us, and with, with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, verses 16 through 22. And I also talked about how the Antichrist would reign seven total years. The Bible calls that the tribulation time. But in the last three and a half years, starting with the proclamation of this Antichrist as himself, as God in the temple, he's going to bring really a literal hell upon the face of the planet. We talked about that last week. But just how bad of a time will this three and a half years actually be? How much literal hell is Satan and the Antichrist really going to bring upon the earth? And how, outside of what we've talked about already, you know, him standing in the temple, sitting in the temple, proclaiming himself God, how else will will we be able to identify him over and above those other things? Well, unfortunately, here in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus didn't cover all of those things. He didn't cover all of what the Antichrist is going to do when he comes. But he actually does in Revelation chapter 13. So, Excuse me, this week to start off with, the Lord wanted me to take us through Revelation 13 quickly so we could just show you. I wanted to show you how bad, how evil the time of the end will really be. I want to show you what God's shown me about some more details about what the Antichrist is going to do. Some more ways in which he's going to reveal himself to the world. I want to show you these things. This is what God has put on my heart for my overview, the main thing, okay? Because here's the deal. We, the people of this world, Christians and all, I believe, are still going to be here when he comes. 
And I really want you and me and anyone that's still alive to know who he is when he comes because I don't want us to be deceived. Jesus said, and last week in our text, we read that Jesus said that the Antichrist will deceive many by great signs and great wonders. So I don't want anyone to be deceived that's going to listen to this message or anybody that knows anybody that's there in that time or maybe you're in that time and you listen. I don't want you to be deceived into thinking that this guy is really God. So not only is he going to stand in the temple and proclaim himself to be God and make the temple of God desolate, that's, that's a big one, but because he's going to do all these signs and wonders, I want you to know kind of the MO. What, what, what else is he going to do? Well, how else will we be able to identify him? Because I do not want you, and God does not want you to be deceived. So I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to go through it kind of quickly. Some of it uh, I'm not going to hit on. Other parts, major keys, and I'll, and I'll point those out, and we're going to go through quickly. Revelation chapter 13. So if you want to turn to it, or you could just listen along, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. This is John now. John wrote the book of Revelation. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So notice right there already, he's got to have a blasphemous name he's going to come in. He's going to come in blasphemy, and there's only one that you can blaspheme, and that's God. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, and we know him scripturally to be the devil, that's Satan. The dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. He gave him his throne, his great authority, and his power. So Satan is giving this Antichrist all of his power and all of his authority. Big key there. And I saw on one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. We believe this to be, along with what else Revelation 13 says here, that this Antichrist is going to come and he's going to kind of pull a Jesus. He's going to live, he's going to be shot, somebody's going to kill him. But then he's going to resurrect, he's going to raise from the dead, he's going to try to deceive you by saying, I'm Jesus, I'm the Christ, because see, I was dead and now I rise again, and he's going to try to pull out of the Bible, and he's going to try to show you that he is Jesus, because he's going to die, and he's going to rise again. And listen, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So the whole world, the majority of people of the world, are going to be deceived into this guy being the real Christ, the real Messiah, the real God. So listen, verse 4, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So he's going to have great power. Okay, so they're saying right there, who can, who's even able to make war with him? He is so powerful. We're just done. Nobody can stand against him. He's great. He's a great, powerful man. He's, he has great power. He goes on to say, John, in verse 5, and he says, And he was given a mouth, speaking things and blasphemies. So he's going to, again, he, now he's going to blaspheme the God of heaven and earth. And he was given great authority to continue for 42 months. There's our three and a half years that he's going to reign in this great tribulation time, this terrible tribulation time. Then he opened his mouth, and listen, He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, Jehovah, Yahweh, to blaspheme his name. That's one thing he's going to do. He's going to blaspheme the name of Jehovah. He's going to blaspheme the name of God. He's going to blaspheme his tabernacle, where God lives, his temple. And he's going to blaspheme those who dwell in heaven. He's going to blaspheme speaking blasphemous things against God, where God lives, and who God and who lives with God in heaven. Okay, verse seven, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this guy is going to come in great power and he's going to make war. He's going to attack who are God's saints. He's going to attack Christians, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, not just anybody. He's going to he's going to attack the saints of God, God's children, whether Jew or or Gentile Christian. He's going to attack them. It goes on to say an authority 
was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. So he's going to be expected to be worshipped as God, and he's going to be a great world ruler. Authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Okay, so he's going to be a great world ruler. And all who dwell on the earth, he's going to want them to worship him as God. Listen, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has a hear, let him hear. Jesus is trying to reach out to us here. If anyone has a hear, an ear, let him hear. Hey, wake up, guys. This is what this guy's really going to do. He's going to be a great world ruler. He's going to attack God's children. He's going to have people worship him. He goes on to say, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. He's warning us, hey, saints of God, children of God, have patience. Have patience. This guy's coming. This is going to be a terrible time. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a, and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Again, he was killed and he came back to life. Yes, we see it there again. It goes on to say, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So God hasn't, God used to do this in the Old Testament. He hasn't done it anymore, but God used to do this in the Old Testament. So see, he's going to do these great signs and wonders and miracles to try to make you think he is the God of heaven by even making fire come down from heaven. Wow. Um, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beasts. So there he's going to deceive people by these great signs, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword but lived. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So if you will not worship him, if you will not worship his image, he'll kill you. That's another thing he'll do. Be warned, people. If you're there, if you see this, and he says, worship me or die, eyes be opened. This is not God of heaven and earth. The God of heaven and earth does not say, worship me or die. This beast, this dragon, this antichrist will say, worship me or die. Wow. Verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free or slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So he's going to make people get a mark on their forehead and on their right hand, and it's not going to be a choice. And if you don't get this mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. This is another thing he's going to do. Okay? If you're there and you see these things, warning, this is not the true God of heaven and earth. This is the Antichrist. This is the false Messiah. This is the false God. This is Satan manifesting himself in the flesh. And he goes on to say, very blessed verse, here is the wisdom. He says, here is the wisdom. Know this truth. Be warned of this truth. Here is the wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of, it's a number of a man. His number is 666. So now we know what he's going to do more than he just comes and sits in the temple. Because, you know, coming and sitting in the temple, I'll be honest with you, he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. That's a very godly thing to do. I mean, who wouldn't want peace in the Middle East? People have been trying to do it since who knows how long. Who wouldn't want peace in the Middle East? That's a really great thing to do. He's going to do that. Then he's going to make. Then he's going to help the Jews build a new temple. Well, that's a great godly thing to do. Remember, his first three and a half years are going to be in peace. This is when people are going to believe in him. They're going to believe that he is this great God of heaven because he's going to do all these like slightly godly things. So people are going to start to follow him. But it's not until when he stands in the temple and he stands up and he proclaims himself to be God that that's when the literal hell comes upon the earth. And those days, once he does that, will be so supernaturally intense. We can see why Jesus said, Matthew 24, 22, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. 
But for the elect's sakes, those days would be shortened. So the Bible just told us, like we read last week, Jesus said, unless God were to shorten those days, everybody would be lost. Nobody would be saved. The Antichrist would kill the whole world. He hates people. He does not love you. He does not love you. He'll want to bring peace, but he will not love you. Satan cannot love. He's incapable of love. So I hope now that we've read all those things along with those other things he's going to do coming in falsely. I hope that you have a fuller picture of what he's really going to do when he comes along with him standing or sitting in the temple proclaiming himself to be God. Christians, it's going to be a crazy time that's coming. And anyone listening to this message, it's going to be a crazy time that's coming. And I don't want you, if you see this, to be deceived into thinking that this guy that comes and does all these things is the one true God of heaven and earth. Okay. Now, if we see him and we're not with God, if you just happen to see this and you're listening to this message right now and you're seeing this happen and you're not walking with God, well, you know what? Turn to God. Turn to Christ right now and be saved while you have time. And if you're God's saint and you see him, here is the call for your patience or your faith, like Revelation 13 just said. And this is your time that you need to hold on to God stronger than you've ever held on to God before in your life. Because chances are he will murder you because you believe in Jesus Christ. He will murder you. Now, you may be wondering why I'm saying that Christians could be ready to see all these signs. I'm going to explain that in a little while, very shortly. So let's get into this week's message, shall we? The title of our message is, When Will Jesus Christ Really Come Back? When Will Jesus Christ Really Come Back? Matthew chapter 24, 29 through 35. If you guys want to start with me in verse 29 and read along with me, or you can just listen along. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately, Jesus says, after the tribulation of those days, the days we just read about, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then, right after that, the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree, he says, with its br- when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. He's giving us a sign now. If you see the, 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 the branch starting to bud, hey, summer's coming. Summer's near. So also, when you see all these things, all the signs that he just talked about, about the Antichrist, Antichrist know that it is near, or he is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, after what we just read in Revelation 13, when you think about how Jesus just used the word tribulation there in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, now I hope that you can see why Jesus used that word because he's talking about the tribulation time of the last three and a half years of the Antichrist that we just read about in Revelation 13 and Matthew 15 through 28. Okay, You can actually imagine now, now that you hear that word tribulation, how bad of a time this tribulation time is really going to be and what this fella, this Antichrist, is really going to be like. The word there for tribulation in the Greek is... Thalipsis defined as a pressing or pressing together or pressure. Think about that. What we just read about what the Antichrist is going to do. Kill the saints. Cause the world to worship him. Pressure. Pressing together. Metaphorically, it's oppression. Affliction. Think about affliction. Tribulation. Distress. Straits. Yeah. 
That word tribulation that Jesus used there and that word for the Greek, the Antichrist is going to bring those words upon the face of the planet and upon the peoples, and then some. Those words encapsulate them in horror, in terror, in stress, pressure, affliction, distress, and you'll actually see how bad this tribulation time will be. And to add to this tribulation time, you know, the Antichrist is going to come and do all these things, Revelation 13, Matthew 24, 15 through 28. On top of that, verse 29 also just told us that after that, the sun's going to be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. What's going to happen? Not only will the Antichrist reign with great power and cause all this distress and this tribulation, but the whole creation is going to start falling apart. Literally, all of creation is going to start falling apart. That's exactly what Jesus just said. But Bible does say, it confers with this, Daniel 9.27, God says there in that verse that God's going to bring a consummation upon the earth or a complete annihilation or destruction of the whole world at the end of the world. He's going to destroy his first creation, which is all of us, not not people-wise, you know, like Christians mean, but I mean he's going to destroy the whole world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the heavens will be dissolved, Peter talks about, and just be destroyed. He's going to bring a complete consummation or an annihilation upon all this sin-filled creation, and he's going to start over again with a new heavens and a new earth where no longer sin is, but righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. All right, let's look here to see what Jesus says next. Verse 30 again, he says, Then, so, okay, so we got the tribulation, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of literal hell on earth. We got creation falling apart. Then, in the midst of this time, then the sun, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Remember what Jesus said? Every eye will see him. And they, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. What did Jesus say would happen during the time of creation falling apart and the Antichrist reigning terribly on the earth? Because that's what verse 29 said. After the tribulation of those days, Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back in great power and great glory. He's going to reign. He's going to, he's, going to, he's going to come back and every eye will see him like in Matthew 24, 27. Every eye will see the whole world. Every person on the planet will see Jesus Christ come back and return on the clouds of heaven. Just like he told the disciples when he was leaving and they saw him leaving in heaven on a cloud. An angel appeared and an angel came and says, what are you staring at heaven for? He says, don't you know he's going to come back just like he left? And here we see the fulfillment of that. Jesus is saying, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come back just like I left. And what is the first thing he's going to do when he comes back? Look at verse 31 again. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect, God's children, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So what's the first thing he does when he comes back? He gathers God's kids by his angels and gets us out of here. What an intense and powerful time this is going to be, amen? I mean, think about this time. We just have terrible tribulation. Then we see the Christ. Then God takes everybody out. Wow, intense. Sounds like, it sounds like a time that will be just unforgettable. And by the way, Christians, this is also what Christians, you or the church teaches, is the rapture. God's taking of his children, of his church, off the planet and gathering them together to himself. And he closes this thought with 32 through 35. And he says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. Hey, when the branches already become tender, hey, when you see these things, when you see the branch come tender, 
Look at there. You know that what happens? Summer's near. So when you see it or me near or all these signs, know that I'm near. Know that when you saw all these things happen, I'm near. I'm at the door. The end of the world is right around the corner. It's coming, guys. It's coming, but you're going to see it. You'll see these things. Notice he said that they would see these signs. And once they saw these signs, then know that his return was right there at the door. The events we read about today describe to us Jesus' second coming. Okay, This is what the Bible calls his second coming and the rapture of God's children. Now, not all peoples believe this. To me, I saw it. To me, I see a second coming there. He's talking about his second coming. We're going to talk about that for the rest of our service today. And he gathers God's elect who are God's elect, God's people, God's ones that have turned to him. They, they've, they've chosen to accept his free gift. They turn to him, they get saved, and he's going to pull them to him. Of course, a lot of people have a lot of ideas and different opinions on different subjects of the Bible. We've talked about that before. If there's different subjects in the Bible, people are going to have different opinions and different thoughts about them. And the subject of the rapture, what I just described to you, what I believe to be the rapture, is no different. People believe that there's three different takes or stances. People take three different stances on when the rapture of God's church or when the second coming of Christ will really happen. And those three stances are this. There's people that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That means that God's going to come down and he's going to take all of his children home with him before the Antichrist even starts to reign at all, before that seven-year period. Then people believe in the middle of the tribulation rapture. And the reason they believe this is because they believe, or what this means is that Jesus is going to come, God's going to take away the church, take away God's kids right in the middle, right before the three and a half years where Satan takes over, where the Antichrist starts to reign. And then the last stance, probably the least accepted amongst Christians in America, is the post-tribulation rapture. It means that God's going to come back and take the church, take his children, after the Antichrist is done reigning. Okay, This is the most... This is the least accepted belief, while the pre or even the mid are the most accepted beliefs amongst Christians in America. I'm going to talk to you today about one of the stances that is probably the least accepted, which is the post-tribulation rapture, because this is when I believe that the church, that God's children, will be raptured from the face of the planet. So I want to just start out by saying I'm not teaching this sermon and I'm not teaching my own doctrine. I'm just teaching what the Bible says, but I'm not teaching this in order to divide us. If you have another belief, well then that's fine. Let's agree to disagree, but I don't want to teach this sermon so that anyone is divided against me or I get divided against anybody. I've met people that don't believe in a post-tribulation rapture and I don't agree with them, but I don't hate them either. I love them. They're my brother in Christ. I think that they're wrong and they think I'm wrong. We can agree to disagree. But today, I want like to present to you what I believe is the post-tribulation rapture because I believe that God has a powerful message in, in this message and in the post-tribulation rapture and, and and we have some dangers to watch out for and the other two so i believe that there's some dangers associated with the pre and mid beliefs but you be the judge i'm just going to present my case i'm going to present what the bible says and then you decide when everything is all said and done after you do your own study not listen to your pastor not listen to whatever your leader says but you go yourself to your bible not even what i say don't believe that either but you, after we're done, go to your Bibles and you research this. You dig into God's Word and you ask God what the truth is about when Jesus Christ is really going to come back and what He's really going to do when He comes back because these things are vital. These things are so important. The time that He comes, as far as setting a minute or a date or an hour, that's not important. What's important is what will be going on when he comes back 
And what do we have to be aware of or not aware of? Or is there a danger? Is there going to be danger for Christians in the world before he comes back? Or, or is everything going to be like it is today? And then, whoop, we're just going to be out of here. You be the judge. I'm going to present what I believe to be the post-tribulation rapture of the church. So this is the first reason why I believe that Jesus is not going to come back until after the tribulation time, after the Antichrist reigns and take his church. This is why I believe first reason. First reason, I believe, is that the Bible only speaks about one second coming of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, will you find anything but Jesus Christ coming back one time, called His second coming. We read in Scripture about Him coming one time, the first time, where He comes and He brings love and He brings peace and He shows people who God really was even in the Old Testament. People like Richard Dawkins think that that God is some beast from the Old Testament, some unloving, uncaring character. Well, Jesus comes to set that record straight. Jesus was God in the flesh, and Jesus came the first time, almost 2,000 years ago, or about 2,000 years ago, to show us who God really was. God is love, has always been love. He brings truth. He he brought the teaching of true salvation. He brought peace to to people that listened to him, the people that accepted him, okay? He brought the way to heaven. And then he died for the sins of mankind in his first coming. But then the Bible only speaks about one other time that Christ will come called his second coming. And in the second coming, every instance where we see Jesus Christ coming his second time, he gathers his saints He judges the world in righteousness and brings an end to the sin-filled world, just like we talked about earlier, and brings a new heavens and a new earth. And this is his second coming. And there's all kinds of prophecy in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and in Daniel that all talk about this second coming of Christ, where he's going to now, instead of come as a baby in a manger, he's going to come to rule and reign. He's not going to come as this peaceful uh, son of a carpenter anymore. He's going to come to rule and reign. He's going to reign in power on the earth, and he's going to show all peoples the power of God. And it's not going to be this, oh, oh, turn to God and be saved. He's going to be like, if you don't follow God, that's it. Boom, you're going to hell, so follow or not. He comes to bring God's wrath back to the earth. That's the first reason I believe in a post-tribulation rapture because every instance we see that Christ comes back his second time, he's gathering his church. He's judging the world. And since we only have one second coming, there can't be a third and fourth and fifth and sixth. It's not scriptural. That's the first reason that I believe in a post-resurrection of the church and of God's children. The second reason I believe in a post-tribulation rapture is this. It's because I see it in the Bible especially in scriptures like Matthew 24, 29 through 35. So how here today, I'm going to look at it in depth. I'm going to break it down a little bit more than I already did. How is Jesus telling us about his second coming and the rapture of God's church in this scripture today? We'll look again closely this time, please, at Matthew chapter 29 again. At what point in the future Is this scripture set in Matthew chapter 29? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. What days is he speaking about again? He's speaking about the days that the Antichrist was just reigning. Revelation 13, bringing literal hell upon the earth. And he says, immediately after. After the tribulation of those days. He's only speaking of one set of days. Our context of our Bible says here that 15 through 28 of Matthew chapter 24 was the coming of the Antichrist. The last three and a half years, him standing in the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Right? Then he's going to bring a literal hell upon the earth. Then after the tribulation of those days, this is what's going to happen. And, and, and what follows? What happens right after verse 30? The Son of Man will 
the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So after the tribulation of the Antichrist, then Christ comes. How much more simpler can it be? Only one second coming. Only one. He comes after the tribulation of the Antichrist. And what does he do right after? Verse 31 spells it out. He comes and he takes his elect, God's children, off of the planet. Then in verse 32 through 35, he tells us again, that we're going to see all these signs and we should know that his coming, that the end of the world is right around the corner. It's at the door. This section of scripture spells out to me and indicates to me a sec- the second coming of Christ will not be until after the Antichrist reigns in great power and, and great power authority upon the earth which means that jesus christ is not going to come back until after the tribulation which means that the tribulation of the 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 rapture of the church the rapture of god's children as spelled out in verse 31 won't be until after the antichrist reigns or a post tribulation so i don't know about you that's what i see maybe only one scripture isn't enough to show you my point Maybe one scripture isn't enough to show you why I believe what I do. Well, you're right. One is not enough. There are actually lots. We're only going to cover a few today for time's sake. But there are lots that show us this Christ not coming back until after the tribulation of the Antichrist. If we put today's scripture with what Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica, which is what we read over last week, 2 Thessalonians 1 through 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 4, and I'm going to teach on this slight little bit as I go. Paul writes to the to the Christians in Thessalonica and he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what coming is he talking about? He's not talking about the first time he came. Paul was, the, Paul was there when he came before. Everybody there would have known that he was already been, that he's already been there. So what coming is he talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Christ. So now, brethren, concerning the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and what comes with it? Our gathering together to him. Again, second coming of Christ, rapture of the church. There together, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Notice he puts them together just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 24. He goes, I ask you now, brethren, not to be so shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. Like there were already people then, just like C.T. Russell had described an invisible coming of Christ in the 1800s, there were already people then that were trying to tell you, hey, hey, Christ has already been. Hey, you missed it. But, sorry, too late. No, Paul says, no, he's not. No, he's not. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day is he coming about? Talking about the the second coming of, of Christ and the rapture of the church for that day will not come unless. So that day of Christ's coming and the rapture of God's church is not going to come unless, listen to what he says, the falling away comes first. That's the first thing. And we believe that to be the falling away of the faith in the world. And we see that right now. That's actually happening right now. Most of the Christian church in the world has fallen away. Christianity is not what it was in the first century. It's so diluted. Most Christians don't even believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, or most people that call themselves Christians don't even believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They don't believe that God, you know, that the Bible is accurate. They don't believe in, in organized religion, which is the Christian church. And the, all these things the Bible speaks against, and they disagree with the Bible, and they still call themselves Christians. This is a great falling away. We're in it right now. It's all about peace and love. You go into a church, you hear nothing about repentance. You hear nothing about salvation. It's all about, oh, what God can do for you. How great your life can be. That is a falling away. 
There's no repentance and no salvation in the Christian church of today. Most Christians just want teachers that'll tell them good and happy things that make them feel really good. This is a falling away. We're in it right now. So that's the first thing. We see it right now. And the man of sin, there again, so that day, the second coming of Christ and the rapture of church will not happen unless the falling away comes first. That's right now. And the man of sin, who's that again? The Antichrist is revealed, or the son of perdition, Paul calls him, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, Revelation 13, or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Wow. Scripture number two. Second coming of Christ and rapture together. But they will not come until after the Antichrist shows up, shows himself first, and calls himself God in the temple. And what does this and when does this happen according to Daniel, according to the Bible in Daniel chapter 9 again? What did Daniel 9 say? 927. Speaking of the tribulation time and the coming of the Antichrist, then he shall confirm a covenant for many with many for one week. Remember that one week is one seven-year period. One seven-year tribulation period, half a piece, half of literal hell on earth. And that begins the tribulation time, remember? But he goes on to say, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years later, in the middle of that time, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And Revelation 13, like we just said, he's going to bring literal hell upon the earth. So this man of perdition doesn't reveal himself as the Antichrist until the middle of the tribulation, right before he's going to bring literal hell on the earth, the second half of that seven-year period. And in Matthew uh, 24, 29 here, as we just read, what did Jesus say? He says that his second coming wasn't going to be till after the tribulation of those days. What tribulation of the days? The days where Satan, the Antichrist, is going to bring the literal hell upon the earth. Right here. It's second scripture, and they both go together. They're almost like Paul copied what Jesus said and wrote it to the Thessalonica, to the Thessalonican church in, Thess- in, Thess- in Thessalonica. Okay? It's like he copied what Jesus said. But he just kind of rounded off the edges and just made it real smooth. But Paul writes to Thessalonia, just like Jesus says here. And he describes the same event. The second coming of Christ, the, the gathering together. Paul's talking to a Christian church. Our gathering together to him. He's not talking to one guy. He's talking to the Christian church. The whole Christian church. And Paul's letters were, were to be read throughout all the churches, the Christian churches in Asia. So Paul is really talking to all the Christian churches. Don't be deceived. The second coming of Christ is not going to come until, in our, and our gathering together to him, they're put together, is not going to happen until after the Antichrist reigns and then after his second three and a half year period where he's going to bring literal hell upon the earth. Maybe two different sections of Scripture aren't enough to show you why I believe in a post-tribulation rapture of the church and Jesus' second coming. But that's okay. There's lots more, but just a couple more for time. A couple more. We got 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Paul writes again, Now to the church in Corinth. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but you can transform there and make that die, because sleep in the Greek there is die. So we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. So he's talking about the rapture now. We're not going to all die. Hey, some Christians are going to be alive, and boop, they're just going to be changed. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, notice he said the last trumpet, that's significant. For the trumpet will sound, he says, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So the people that have died will be raised up and gathered, or raised up in the rapture, and those that are still alive are going to be caught up with them. But now you may say, well, Pastor Ed, that's not really conclusive. Now, we didn't hear anything about Jesus there. What if that's just God telling us, hey, you know, I'm catching up my children. 
Hey, this is a pre-trib, Pastor Ed. This is showing us that they got G- we, there's no Jesus in that scripture there. We don't read a Jesus' second coming there. That's okay. Paul is writing about the same topic to the Thessalonican church again in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13, and eight, uh, verses 13 through 18. And he says this. He talks about the same subject, but look who we're going to be gathered together to. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who are dead. For listen, for the Lord himself will, will, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Listen. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we have 1 Corinthians 15 talking about the gathering, the last trumpet, the same trumpet in 1 Thessalonians, the same gathering together, but he leaves out there the Lord's coming to being with that gathering in 1 Corinthians. But in 1 Thessalonians, he, he adds what Jesus said here, what he said in 2 Thessalonians, that in that gathering, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Remember, Thessalonica, they had been deceived into thinking that Jesus already came back. Paul says, it's, you, you're not going to miss this event, Christian church. Everybody's going to see it. You're not going to miss this. The dead, is gonna, the dead are going to rise first, and then, hey, we're going to join them in the air. And who are we going to meet? We're going to meet the Lord who's descending from heaven with a shout, with a trumpet. And he's talking about Christ's second return and the gathering of the Christian church with him. I don't know how much more plain to me it gets. The Lord, remember, is only going to come back one more time called his second coming. And in our scripture today, Matthew 24, 30, Jesus says that he, the Son of Man, is coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory and will gather the elect or those that are his. Now, unless he has three and four and five and six comings, which is not scripturally supported, we only read about one second coming of Christ that's supported in scripture. And we only read about one gathering together with him. Only one. We don't read about multiple times that Christians are gathered together to him. When he comes the second time, which is immediately after the tribulation of those days, verse 29 here in Matthew 24, uh, the days of the son of perdition where he's literally bringing hell upon the earth. So those are the reasons why I believe in the second coming of Christ and the rapture won't be until after the Antichrist comes. And again, I don't want this subject to be one of division, but I would ask you, if you believe in a pre-trib or a mid-trib rapture, I would ask you to challenge yourself. Don't go to your pastor. Don't go to your leader. Challenge yourself and go to your scripture. Go to the word yourself. Because God, if you're a Christian, leads you in all truth. You don't need anybody to help you interpret the Bible. If you read the Bible for yourself and you say, God, please show me the truth in your word, God will help you understand your word. The Bible commends those. The, the, Paul commended those in Berea. for being. Now we're commanded to be like Bereans to go. And they went, Paul came into Berea and he challenged the people there to search Christ, challenged the people there on who Christ was. And he commended them for actually not just taking his word, but they heard him. Then they went home. They looked at the scriptures themselves 
And then they found whether he, they believed he was right or wrong. He did not ask them just to believe by his teaching alone. Neither should I ask you to believe what I say only because of me, or neither would I tell you don't believe just your pastor as well of awesome of a man of God as he is. We all can be wrong. Don't just listen to him and don't just listen to me. Go be a Berean and check out the scriptures for yourself and find if you can find any scripture that supports Jesus taking the church or any of his children out before before the Antichrist reigns or really until the Antichrist is done. I don't want to hear if you're thinking already yourself, well, you know, Jesus is coming back or, or Jesus is going to, you know, just kind of invisible like a thief in the night and he's going he's gonna to take us out. Because you know what that sounds to me? Because I've heard that before. That sounds like an invisible or a secret return of Christ. And if I'm not mistaken, as I mentioned earlier, Charles Taz Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he taught this doctrine. The secret invisible return of Christ in 1874, along with many other false predictions about when Christ was coming back. And right now, we know the Christian church, if you're a real Christian, you know that the Jehovah Witnesses organization is an anti-Christ religion. They're not Christian at all. Okay, So you, you can't tell me that Jesus and God is going to do something invisible because right here, he didn't do anything invisible. He came back. The whole world could see him. Remember, he warned us a couple weeks ago. Hey, if anybody says to you, hey, look here, the Christ is there. Oh, look there, the Christ is there. He says, don't believe them. For as the lightning flashes from east to west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's going to come and every eye will see. Nothing done in secret. God doesn't do anything in secret. God works in power and in great glory. He doesn't have to hide anything from anybody. Why do I believe that the pre- and mid-trib rapture is an incorrect doctrine? Why? I believe that Christians, God showed me this just yesterday. God showed me, I believe, that Christians confuse God's promises of keeping his children, his church, from his judgment of the entire world at the end of the world, which is spelled out for us in Revelation chapter 15 and 16, where we read about the bowl judgments. I believe that Christians confuse this promise with the tribulation period of the Antichrist. You see, in Revelation 13, we read about the Antichrist coming. Then we read about, a little later, like in 14, we read about where Jesus sends out the angels to gather the elect. But then we read in 15 and 16 about God bringing these great bold judgments upon the planet. Where great loathsome sores and he kind of copies some of the plagues that he sent upon Egypt. And this, Christians, this, my friends, is God's judgment on the world. Okay? These bulls are God's judgment and wrath upon the whole world, not the Antichrist reigning upon the whole world. I think Christians get that mistaken because I do not see. This is another question. I've been asking myself a question about this pre, mid, and post-rapture of the church and Christ's second coming for years. And it hasn't been up until maybe the, like the last year that I've really kind of set my heart to really seek on this and really search God on this and really meditate on this. And it wasn't until a, a fellow that I used to know even brought some of these things to my attention and he did not believe in a post-tribulation rapture, but that really started opening my eyes and really started, I, I started praying and, 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 and God started showing me these certain things about you know the rapture and Christ's second coming. And, but this is a question that I've had for years, but for years I just kind of buried it. But over the last year or so, I kind of stopped burying it. I kind of thought about it some more. And this is the question that I've asked myself for years on the subject of why there could, there could not be a post-tribulation of God's children of his church. So why, why is a post-rapture of the church and Christ's second coming a post thing bad? Or why is it wrong? Well, here. If the whole reason behind why people believe that Christians will be raptured before the Antichrist is because God is going to keep us from the evil that the Antichrist will bring, because that is what people believe about a pre- and a mid-trib rapture. They believe that God's going to take us out before literal hell comes upon the earth. Okay? That's the main reason. 
then why then, if that's true, and God's going to remove us even before the Antichrist comes, then why then has God allowed Christians to go through the evil and terrible times of persecution that have come against us since Christ resurrected all over the world, both past and present today? We can just start with Rome. Remember how Rome treated Jesus. Remember then how Rome treated Paul and all the disciples. Paul and almost all the apostles were brutally tortured and murdered senselessly. Why? Because Christians worship Jesus Christ as God and not the Roman Empire. So Rome killed multitudes of Christians, especially under Nero, because They wouldn't worship him as God, but they worshiped Jesus Christ as God. Why would God let those people go through that if Christians aren't supposed to suffer or are never supposed to be persecuted? Jesus promised persecution. We go within the Catholics. We move ahead some. Most people don't know this, but the Catholic faith, when it was in the beginning and then up until into the teens of centuries, they practice mass torture and mass murder against Christians, especially in the Inquisition. Because why? They wanted to convert Christians that believed in Jesus Christ as the only way. And they wouldn't believe in transubstantiation. And they wouldn't believe in, 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 in the Mother Mary being you know, who she was to them. And so they tried to convert them. But Christians wouldn't because Jesus is the only way. So because of this... The Catholic faith persecuted, tortured, and murdered millions of Christians from early on, 300 all the way to into the teens A.D. So why didn't God keep those people, those Christians, from going through that terrible time of literal hell upon the earth? We look at Islam today. We look at Islam back from Muhammad Okay, Muhammad, from the time that he got his great gathering, people really started to believe in him, all up until today, have been trying to convert Christians to believe that Jesus is only a prophet. He was only ever a prophet. He never claimed to be the Son of God. Oh, and God forbid, he never claimed himself to be God in the flesh either. Oh, God forbid. Muhammad is the final prophet. Jesus was just a prophet along with Moses and yada, yada, yada. And so because Christians will not bow down and turn and change, Muslims and Islam from Muhammad to today have been mass murdering and torturing Christians for, for, for 1,500 or so years. Why didn't God stop all that if Christians aren't supposed to go through literal hell on earth. And I could go on. Hindus, Buddhists, they all do it too. They all do it too. They've all done it to Christians too. In all these instances, the peoples and leaders of these religions tortured and murdered Christians because they would not give up their worship of Jesus Christ as God and bow worship to their God or their gods. Well, I'd like you to tell me Why God would not stop Christians from going through the tribulation time period where the Antichrist is in power, where he persecutes and murders Christians in the same way as the people and leaders of those other false religions have done for almost 2,000 years since Christ resurrected. Listen to this one more time, Revelation 13, 15 through 17. Listen to it again. Listen to what the Antichrist is going to do to Christians when he reigns. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He murders. He murders because they wouldn't worship the image of the beast. The same as Islam has done. The same as Catholicism has done. The same as Buddhists and Hindus have done. The same as Rome did. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. So they couldn't even basically, I'll say it like this, they couldn't sneeze. People, Christians, you're not even going to be able to sneeze without this guy saying, oh, did you have the mark? Oh, I'm your Lord. 
follow me. And, oh, if I don't know you do it, you can't do it. You can't even eat without this mark. That's persecution. That's persecution and murder. So not only do I think the post-rapture of God's children is supported in Scripture, but I also don't see a reason why God would stop us from being killed and persecuted worldwide by the Antichrist when he's allowed the same type of treatment of his children historically and currently to this very day. I don't know where you stand, but I know what I believe, and I know that I believe in a post-rapture of the church, and I know I believe in a post-tribulation coming of Christ. Christians, I believe that the doctrine of the pre- and mid-tribulation rapture is dangerous. I believe it teaches an easy escape. And the way Jesus taught us here, he taught us to be ready. Matthew 24, 32-35, be ready. When you see all these things, know that I'm at the door, know that I'm here, I'm almost there, the end of the world's almost near. Know that I'm almost near. Not easy escapism. But hey, all these things are about to come. And hey, when you see all these signs, you're going to see all that the Antichrist is going to do, Christians. You're going to see it. If you believe, if you believe that God is going to take us all out of here before the Antichrist is going to reign in evil, and he doesn't, are you really going to be ready for the terrible, horrible persecution that the evil one will bring? This is another reason why I think the pre and mid post uh, pre and mid rapture of the church is wrong. Okay, you're not going to be ready if you're ready for easy escapism, and then when it happens, and it happens, what are you going to do? You're going to lose it. I don't think you're going to be ready. And if you're not ready for this terrible rain when it comes, uh, you can easily buckle under the pressure because the Antichrist is going to put pressure on you to convert. He's going to put pressure on you, as we read in Revelation 13, to make you worship Him. And if you worship him, you can't be worshiping the God of heaven and earth. Jesus said, one can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. So he's going he's to try to force you to worship that image of that beast. He's going to try to force you to worship the Antichrist. And if you're not ready, and if you thought, oh, I was supposed to be out of here before, and you're not, and you're there, and you're seeing it, and you're in the midst of it, and he forces you, are you going to gird up your loins And are you going to stand and lose your life? Or are you going to be so broken because, oh God, another reason. Are you going to blame God? Oh no, this terrible stuff's coming upon me. Oh no. Oh God, you let me down. And then what happens if you get angry with God? Oh God, you let me down. You did all this to me. Oh, curse you, God. And then you're there and then you have to worship the beast and you fall away from God. I believe God loves us, but I also believe that God will allow us to go through the tribulation time and allow the evil one to persecute us and kill us, just as he has allowed Christians to go through this same thing for almost 2,000 years. So Christians, my exhortation to you lastly today, if you see all these signs at the end of the world coming, like Jesus just said, and you see the Antichrist come in power, and then you see him declare himself God, and you're still here, don't say that I didn't warn you. Just please get ready for the tribulation to begin. Get ready to lose your life when he starts to come and he starts to kill you because you will not bow down and worship the image of the beast. Please be ready. If you're not a follower of Christ, my exhortation to you in closing, and you see all this stuff happening, or you're seeing it happen right now, because maybe you're listening to this message and it's in this time, then please turn to Christ right away, even if it costs you your earthly life. If you're seeing all these things come to pass, and God has allowed you to hear this message and see these signs, then God is granting you mercy so that you can turn to Him before it's too late. What would you rather lose, your earthly life now where you're only going to live a few more years? Or would you rather lose your soul in eternity? Turn to Christ before it's too late. It's better that you lose your life now that you only have a few days of rather than you lose your all eternity which never ends that you can have with God that He's offering you right now. Turn to Him, please, before it's too late and be saved from eternal torment. Be saved. Seek God. Surrender your life to Him. God loves you.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for this message today, Lord. Thank you so much for your love for people, Lord God, that you're just, you, you always, you're always warning us. You're always trying to show us what the alternative is like, what it's like without you. You're always trying to show us what, what's going to happen so that we could be ready. Lord, you don't want to leave us in the dark. Lord, you want us to be ready so that we're prepared. God, I pray for everybody listening today, Lord God, that they would seek you, that they would seek these issues for themselves, not just take what I take or not just take what their own pastor says, but Lord, that they would seek you on these issues, Lord God, and they would be bold at whatever they see in you, that they would then proclaim it. Lord, if they see a post-rapture, Lord, then they wouldn't be shy and they wouldn't be quiet anymore, but then they would tell people about it, warning people, Lord, that then we're going to have to go through this stuff. Don't be, don't be deceived. Because, Lord, the, the Antichrist is going to deceive so many. Lord, I don't want anybody that's listened to this message to be deceived, Lord. I pray that the people that hear this message would get saved, would bow down, fall on their faces, cry out to you right now, God, and just please, please, Jesus Christ, save me. Please, Jesus Christ, save me. I need you. And be saved. Lord, I pray all these things, and I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.